Last week, we began the season of Advent. We entered into a season of hope. We heard Isaiah as he spoke to us again. Hermanus, he said, O Lord, let the heavens tear apart and come down and let the mountains tremble at your presence. We were reminded again that we are waiting for God. The Holy Spirit reminds us that we wait, that we are a people of hope. We are a people who look forward to Christ coming again. Let me remind you, let me remind you too, that He is coming. Take heart, He is coming. But it's interesting, because as much as we hear it on TV, there's not going to be something that's, it's not going to be secretive. We're not going to need special decoder rings or time maps to know. It's going to be obvious. Jesus said it's going to be obvious. The cosmos are going to be turned upside down. The sun will be darkened. The moon will cease to give its light. The stars in the heavens will fall. And the, and the heavenly powers, they will be shaken. It's going to be obvious. The whole cosmos will be turned upside down. You're not going to miss it. No one will miss it. And you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. We're filling, or filling out the words that Daniel spoke hundreds of years before Jesus even lived. Filling out these words again. He'll come with power and glory. As powerful as it was that He came as a child in Bethlehem, as powerful as that was, this is going to be even more. He's going to come in power to change things. To, to overrule corrupt nations. To undo injustice and oppression. To, to make creation new and good. He's coming with power and glory. Glory that at His name every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's coming in power. And when He comes, He's going to gather His people. He's going to gather all of His people. From the four corners of the earth, He will gather them. Regardless of their race or their nation, they will be gathered. All who believe in Jesus will be gathered to Him. And all the differences that maybe we have, the things that, that have separated Christians throughout the ages, those will be in the past as we stand before Christ. As we stand before Him in glory. That's going to be an amazing day. That will be an amazing day. But just remember, it's going to be obvious. You're going to know. You're going to see. that You don't have to, to look at special things and try and figure out puzzles. It's going to be obvious. Everyone will know. And I also want to encourage you. Take heart. Take heart because the Lord is near. The Lord is near. His coming is near. Like a fig tree. When you see its branches get tender and the leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is coming. So when you see all of these things, you will know that the, that the time is near, that it's right at the door. Now use this word near, and I mean imminent. I mean near in the sense that, maybe in sense of time, that the Lord is coming soon. And I pray this. Especially in Advent, I pray this all the time. Come, Lord Jesus, come. But at very least, this means near in the sense of imminent. As Jesus said, right at the door, waiting to come through. That the Lord's, turn, Lord's return is right at the door. And so we're meant to live urgently. Now, see, the troubling thing for me as I work through this text, and this is probably one of the most complicated passages that I've studied, 
The most complicated thing for me was at verse 30. When Jesus says, and I tell you the truth, that certainly, by no means will this generation pass away until all of these things happen. Well, the complicated thing is that some of these things did happen. The things that he spoke about. This Hebrew word, abomination of desolation, or abomination of sacrilege. Earthquakes and, and wars and rumors of war. Some of those things did happen. But the important part of his return did not yet. Obviously, Jesus Christ has not come back yet. But he's coming. So the question for us, how do we understand this, Lord? You said in this generation. Well, I read lots of different answers this week. Trying to listen to, to thoughtful people as they explain it. And there are tons. It shows you just how complicated this passage is. Some said that you know, maybe things were happening beforehand and, and we're waiting just for the fulfillment now. That in 70 AD, when Jerusalem Temple was destroyed, that was part of the fulfillment. And now we're waiting for Christ's return. As I read it, what makes more sense to me is that God fulfills things and then He fulfills them again. In theology, they have this term, double fulfillment. But what I explain it to us is that that God works, and we see prophecies where He says one thing, and it's sort of fulfilled or fulfilled in one way. And then, again, it's fulfilled again. It's fulfilled in a more full way. An example of this is Isaiah 53. Rick, do you have that available? This is the, the suffering servant song from Isaiah. He says, Surely He took our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. Yet we considered Him stricken by God, smitten by Him and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought Him peace was upon upon Him, and by His wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Now I ask you, church, who is this psalm about? Or something, who is this message about, this prophecy? Christ, yeah. But it's interesting, and look at this. Each of these verses, or each of these verbs here, they're in the past tense also. He took, he carried, he considered. As Isaiah is speaking of these words, in the first, in the, when people first hear, heard them, they probably understood of someone who had already done this. But we, as Christians, we know that Christ has done this too. This prophecy has been fulfilled in one sense and then fulfilled in its full sense with Jesus. So too, prophecies will be filled again. We will hear of wars and rumors of war, earthquakes, famines. The prophecy will be fulfilled again and we will know that Christ is coming. We'll know that He is right at the door. As important as all this stuff is, all these teachings of Jesus, the most important part of this passage the most important part is that he says, keep watch. Keep watch because no one knows the time. No one knows when it will happen. In verse 33, he says, look, look and keep watch because no one knows the time. Despite what you may hear on TV or what you might read in books for 24 or 95, despite the things you may read on the internet, no one knows the time. Jesus was adamant about this. He was adamant about this. He says, concerning the days or the hours, no one knows. Not the angels, not the sun, not the Mayan calendar, not Greek uh, fortune tellers. No one knows except the Father. 
Father in Heaven knows. And he went on in his Hebrew way to explain that no one knows the time. You see, in Hebrew, they don't have the idea or the sense of saying, really, really. So they can't say, he really, you really, really don't know. They don't really have that. So what they do is they repeat. And, they, and Jesus says this three times. He says, concerning the hours of the days, you don't know. That's in verse 32. Then in 33, he says again, keep watch, for you don't know when the time will be. And then again in 35, he says, keep watch, because you don't know the hour that the, that the Lord, will return, Lord of the house will return. The point being is that we don't know. We don't know when He will return. And see, as Christians, it can be tempting for us to try and figure it out. To try and figure out the specifics. To work out the details. And so people start getting focused or being distracted by, by these things. By, when will Jesus come back? It's interesting. I was talking with Walter and we were talking some about this. And, and he said, he had a great quote. He said, sometimes people get so focused on the Antichrist that they forget about Jesus Christ. It's interesting, as you look through history, the, the history of the Antichrist, people have looked at people like the Pope. I think almost every Pope in history has been thought to be the Antichrist. And your other usual suspects, like Napoleon and Hitler and Stalin, U.S. presidents like Roosevelt, Kennedy, Reagan, Clinton, even Barney the Dinosaur, that kid's cartoon. People have speculated this is the Antichrist. Currently, right now, President Obama, suspect number one, and I was reading on this uh, particular website, so take it with a grain of salt. Be, the, the reason being, or that allegedly in Illinois, the lottery ticket, that winning lottery ticket the day after he was a, of the election was 666. So people come up with this funny math. I mean, I was looking at it, like they add these numbers that, you know, their name equals sixes and stuff. And it, you see, it's, it's conspiracy theory. And I don't know that it's helpful. In fact, I'm almost certain it's not helpful. It's not helpful for us because it distracts us from the true thing from Jesus Christ, that he is the one who is important. Now Jesus spoke of the urgency, that it is coming soon so that we would live out our faith. That's why he said it's coming soon. To help us, to give us hope, and to remind us that we have an urgent work to do. We don't know the time. We don't know the time, so ours is to live faithfully. The first part is that you don't know the time, but the most important part of it is that he says, keep watch. And this is our word today. This is Christ's word to us. He mentions it four times in this passage, all times as a command. Keep watch. Look. Keep watch. Keep looking. In verse 33, he says, look. Keep watch. You don't know when the time will be. 35, he says, keep watch. You don't know when the Lord of the house will return. 37, he says, These things I say to you, I say to everyone, keep watch. As Susan read it this morning, that was his last word to us, keep watch. Keep watch is a Hebrew way of saying, live out your faithfulness. Keep watching for the Lord. Be ready for His return. Be ready. Live in a way that is ready for Him to return. Then he gives this great example, this great parable. This great parable of a, of a man who goes away from his home and he puts his servants in charge. It says he gave them authority and work. He gave them work to do. Now, if you were this, this, this Lord leaving, what do you expect to find when you come back? People working. The servants that you have, you expect them to be doing what you've asked them to do. 
with the authority that you've given them to do it. See, I love this parable because it holds us in the right place. You see, sometimes we can get so concerned or we can get so thinking that Jesus is not coming back for a long time. It's been 2,000 years. Who knows when he's coming? That we go on just living our lives. That we think we have all the time in the world. And we start to waste time. In Luke's Gospel, he talks about this. Jesus speaks and he says, It was like the days of Noah, when people were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage, acting like they had all the time of the world, and then the flood came and they were destroyed. They lost sight of how urgent the time is. But this parable also keeps us from the other side, from the other extreme, of being so focused on prophecies and predictions and timetables and, 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 and wondering about the news, trying to interpret world events, that we forget about Jesus, that we forget about the work that he's given us to do. As you listen to Matthew, the last words of Matthew's Gospel are, the word Jesus Christ says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. He doesn't say, try and figure out when I'm coming. He says, no, you've got work to do. We've got work to do. We've been given God's authority to go do it. This is God's word to us. This is Jesus' teaching this morning for us. We have work to do. Christ is coming. Take heart, he is coming and he is near. So the time is urgent. That means for us, if, if the day were urgent, if we believe this, that we went after today, we won't go home and go on about our business. We'll go home and we'll draw closer to Jesus. If we've been far away from him for a long time, we will draw close to him again. The time is urgent. We won't go home and ignore our neighbors. We'll go and we'll serve them. We'll show them that we love them and we'll encourage them to follow Jesus too. And if we are here today, maybe some of us are here today and we're not sure about Jesus. We don't know what to think about him and we're questioning. We don't have all the time in the world. The time is urgent that we would follow him. I encourage you, if you are here today and you are wondering about Christ yourself, follow him. Follow him. Christ's message for us today is urgent. The most important thing he says this morning is keep watch. Because the Lord is coming and it will be obvious. We will see it. And he is near. So be about his work. Faithfully keep watch. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says it like this. He says, keep watch. Stand firm in your faith. Be, be courageous and strong. And let everything you do, let it be done in love. To sum it all up, he's saying, keep watch. Live out your faith. Live faithfully in this world that you'd be ready for Christ's return because the time is urgent. This morning we live in the second week of Advent and we are reminded again that Christ is coming. The time is urgent and we've been given work to do. Keep watch. Amen.